As you can tell, you're going to have to be patient with me this evening uh, with my voice. I'm going to try my best. I brought a little tea with honey that I will be partaking of every so often. Uh, this, uh, this is like the, the biggest fear, right, for a pastor is that on Sunday you lose your voice. But I, Debbie was so merci- merciful to give me uh, some salt water that I gargled in the back and almost threw up five times. And, but I, you know, I'm doing everything I got, guys. (laughs) But if you, you know, if if you have spent time with us as a church, we work through what we call personal worship. So we work through the passage before Sunday. So if you've been working through James, if you have one of those little guides that you can see in the back, you've been reading this passage on patience. And I don't know if you're like me, but patience is a difficult thing. Uh, It's a difficult thing for me, and I think for most of us, especially in our current culture and what we herald as uh, important and valuable, patience can be difficult. And so when I I say the word patience, you know, a lot of things come to mind. For me, when I hear the word patience, I think immediately of traffic because I am not patient in traffic. People that like, one of the things I don't understand is when there's a red light and there's like 15 cars here and there's no cars here, why do cars keep going in that lane? That doesn't make any sense to me. There's a whole empty lane. Traffic doesn't work for me. Brunch, that's what I think of when I think of patience because for some reason, brunch has become the most desirable thing on the planet. And the lines at brunch are longer than Friday or Saturday night at a nice restaurant. So you have to be patient there. I thought of airport security, which I just went through, which is unbelievable. Uh, Maybe you think of your job promotion. You've been waiting patiently for that. Maybe uh, you're married and you want to have children. You're waiting patiently for God to provide children. Maybe you're single and you're hoping for a relationship or or to get married one day, and and you're waiting patiently for those things. See, we all... uh, struggle with patience on some level because we assume patience means this. Patience is waiting for something that I desire. So you really want it. You think you need it and you have to wait for it. And so that mentality is patience. Like I need to get from point A to point B. I want to receive this thing. And so I have to wait patiently for it. You know, God has given common grace to to each and every one of us. Some of us uh, struggle with some things and some of us struggle with other things. We have strengths in different areas. One of the things that is not a strength for me, as I mentioned, is patience. Uh, patience is difficult. I am the person that cannot even imagine going to Disney or Universal without a fast pass. Like, who goes there without a fast pass? I don't understand. That doesn't make any sense to me. How did you wait in lines before a cell phone? That doesn't make any sense to me. I mean, it's unbelievable. I'm the person that when there's a yellow light, that does not mean slow down. That means go faster. And then they put in red light cameras, you know, to get people like me. And then I had a child, so I've had to kind of reteach when Jessica and and the baby are in the car. Okay, red light, your yellow light means slow down. Uh, I think fishing sounds miserable. Um, Like I'm going to sit there and wait for four hours and maybe catch something that I maybe can eat. You know, I only go fishing if I'll go with Matt, who it's pretty much guaranteed to, to catch something. I've not been with him yet, but that's what I hear. But fishing without somebody that knows what they're doing, I will never do that. I, I was reminded of my inability and my struggle with patience when I was going over to the women's getaway. Yes, I was there two weekends ago. I, had, I was watching Roman so Jessica could be in the women's getaway. And I'm driving over on one of the worst roads in the world, right? Alligator Alley, straight Nothing to see. It's, I don't know, an hour and a half across. Speed traps and cops everywhere. 
And I was reminded of my first speeding ticket, which happened there. I was driving like swagged out in a Volkswagen Beetle going 96, you know, because I had to get to Naples real fast when I was 16 years old. And I got pulled over, you know, uh, in, a, in a Volkswagen Beetle. And I remember, you know, thinking to myself, man, if I would have just gone, a, not 96, you know, maybe I would have not gotten, you know, received a ticket because I, I was just like, I have to get past this. I can't wait in this area any longer. I'm going to go as fast as I can. My dad was also an insurance agent. So for the next two weekends, they thought I was at my friend's house when I was really taking a driver's ed course and going to pay my fine in cash. So my dad didn't discover that I got a 96 mile an hour speeding ticket. And so patience is not something uh, that I typically uh, have the capacity for. And it's, so this has been a challenging passage for me personally. I was looking up on Wikipedia, the definition of patience, and here's what it says. And then they do a good job of it. It said, patience is the capacity to accept or tolerate delay, trouble, or suffering without getting angry or upset. You see, Wikipedia is acknowledging something about patience. Patience is both a reaction and an action. It involves not simply how you respond, but it also involves how you act in the midst of trouble or suffering or delay. And this evening, we're going to see that patience includes two things. It includes hope and it includes resolve. See, James writes this letter, and the context of this letter is interesting. James is, uh, it's named after him. He's the author, and James is most likely the brother of Jesus. This is who is writing this letter. And he's writing to a large congregation, not one single church, but many, many churches. And so he's writing uh, kind of this general letter to the church. And the people he's writing to come from a Jewish background. So they grow, grew up in a, in a religious home. They maybe went to the temple and performed sacrifices. They had do's and don'ts. They knew that life was about having good behavior. Uh, and that's what they believed. You know, you have to have good behavior for God to accept you and for God to love you. You have to try to be righteous. And James's letter is interesting because if you're familiar with some of the criticism that this letter has received over the last 2,000 years, it's been pretty heavy. It's one of the most controversial letters in the New Testament. The reason it's so controversial is because people think when they read James on its face, they just read it on the surface, they say, man, there is not a lot of grace here. James is really talking heavily about Christian behavior. He says some very famous things like faith without works is dead. So he's talking a lot about works and Christian behavior in this letter. But I think when you look at the letter and you really dive in, you realize something that James totally understands that salvation is by grace through faith, that you cannot earn your salvation. You can't be good enough for God to love you. It doesn't matter if you're a really good person or a moderately good person or not a good person at all. It's completely dependent on grace, on whether or not you believe that Jesus Christ has died and risen for you. But James has a concern here. He has a concern with his audience that they have totally forsook the idea and the, and the reality that we're called to live righteous. We're called to live differently. He says faith without works is dead, meaning faith that works are a part of it. They're not part of your, the salvation. They're not part of you, you know, God coming to love you or giving you favor. But when God changes you through faith, it, it changes all of you. And it changes the way that you live. And it's interesting here. I mean, I'm, this is total speculation. 
But it's interesting that James writes a letter to a, a very religious audience, and he talks about behavior. And I think what's happened here, and this again is speculation, is that these Jewish believers that grew up with do's and don'ts in this religious household, this religious environment, came to realize that God loves them, not based on what they do, but based on what Christ did, based on grace. They've received grace, and what's happened is they swung the pendulum all the way to the other side, to where now... They're mixing all these cultural norms and social values into their life, and they're presuming upon grace. They're acting like, well, I'm forgiven, so I can do whatever I want. I can live however I want. And James is writing them a letter and saying, listen, that's not how it works. He says in his letter, he says that uh, faith in the world is enmity with God. That when you, when you really follow after the world, it's creating enmity with God. That God and the world don't mix together. And so he writes this letter to them to say, listen, they don't mix. There's actually a middle ground. It's not rules, do's and don'ts. God loves you if you perform for him. And it's also not, well, don't worry, you're forgiven. You can do whatever you want. It's coming to realize that you have been saved by grace, that you believe that Jesus has done the work for you. He has died the death you deserve. He has risen from the dead to conquer death and sin itself. But that should change you. It should cause behavioral change in you. And tonight he's going to say, and what that looks like is that it should cause you, believers, in your relationships to be patient. It's one of the things he harps on. He's simply saying that if you are a person of faith, you are to be patient. Look at verse 7 and 8. He says, Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it. Until it receives the early and late rains, you also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. You see, he connects here patience with the coming of the Lord. And the question is why? He says, if you're patient, if you're to be patient, then you, you realize something. You believe something. If, if, you're, have, if you have the capacity to tolerate and to deal with delay and suffering and trouble without getting angry and upset, but actually entering into it with patience, it's because you have hope in something. He's connecting hope and patience together. And, you know, patience is something that I think our culture would say if you asked the majority of people, hey, is patience a virtue? People would say, oh, yeah, of course. But patience isn't something promoted because patience in our mind means waiting, right? Patience is waiting for something. Like I said, patience is waiting for something you want. And delayed gratification is not a value that we uphold. We're a microwave culture, right? We want everything fast, immediate. When we want it, we want to get it. And so it's difficult for us to be patient. Michael Hughes sent me this picture this week. I want to show it to you. Uh, it's, in the, it's in an elevator in Brickell. It says, it says, you will never have this day again, so make it count. Right? This is our cultural value. Live every day to its fullest. Don't wait. Don't endure. You need to take hold of everything you can right now. Because if you're patient, you're going to miss out. If you wait, you're going to miss out. So what does that mean? It means, well, you don't like your job? Leave it. Go find a new one. You want to have sex? Download an app and swipe right or swipe left. 
right? Your friends aren't working out. They're not meeting expectations. It's not, you know, it's not working out for you. Just find a new friend. You know, church isn't catering to you in the way that you like. It's okay. Go find a new church. The relationship that you're in isn't really, there's too much delay. There's too much suffering. That's okay. We'll just go find a new relationship. We've devalued all of these relationships in our life and all of these things because we're not willing to wait. We're not willing to be patient. We hate the buffering ring of death, right? (laughs) That little thing that bounces around. I don't know if it's a balloon or an umbrella or whatever it is, but we hate it. And we hate that when that thing happens in any aspect of our life, when we have to wait for something that we want. And here's the problem. And and this is me too, okay? We're all in this. We're also, because of that, because we don't want delayed gratification, we want it immediate. We want it to be microwaved. We're not really willing to commit to much because we don't want to miss out on something that could come later. Right? You ever notice on Facebook when somebody invites you to an event, it sounds great, and like five people commit, but then you go to the event and there's like a thousand people there? It's like, what in the world? It's like, well, no one wants to commit because what if something better happens? Right? And not only that, but maybe even kind of the worst part about it is that we have been told that we are entitled to our feelings. Our feelings and our dreams are ours, and nobody should get in the way of them. They are ours, and we can pursue them. As the picture says, it's our day, it's my day, and I'm going to make it count. And so patience is really difficult for us. Because what does patience do? It cuts at our entitlement. It cuts at our lack of commitment. It cuts at our lack of endurance. It is an attack simply on our microwave cultural value. Because what does patience mean? If you are being patient in any aspect of your life, especially in a relationship, it means that you are tolerating, you are accepting delay and suffering. And delay and suffering are things that we do not tolerate and we don't want to accept. I think this is why relationships can be really difficult, whether it's parent-child, whether it's a friendship, whether it's a marriage, whether it's a dating relationship, because relationships require patience, right? Why do they require patience? Because every relationship will bring delay and it will bring suffering. There will be delayed expectations. There will be delayed intimacy or connection. There will be delayed growth in your relationship. Now, I want to be very clear here. This does not mean that every relationship you're in, if there's delay or suffering, it means no matter what, you should stay in the relationship. Carter, you're saying be patient. That means every relationship, regardless of what it is, regardless of what's happening, I should stay in the relationship because I'm supposed to be patient. No, of course, there are delay and suffering and trouble in a friendship, in a dating relationship, in many different relationships can signal some issues, right? They can signal some things that you need to work on. And so you can pray for them and you can work at them. And and God may be signaling sometimes, especially in a dating relationship, maybe there's this isn't compatible. Maybe God isn't desiring this relationship to go forward. So it can signal that, but delay in expectations, delay intimacy, delay connection, delayed in growth, delayed in many different areas and suffering are part of every single relationship we have. And it's what makes relationships very difficult for us because we don't want to accept those things. You know, especially in regards to suffering. I think suffering is one of the hardest things for us because suffering in our minds signals what? Retreat, 
right? You're suffering. I'm going to get out. I'm going to change the circumstance. I'm going to change the environment to remove myself from suffering because I don't want to endure it. I don't want to wade through it. I don't want to wait in the midst of it. And so what happens in relationships, right? You're suffering in a friendship. Get out. Distance yourself. You're suffering in a relationship. You're suffering parent-child relationship. What do you do? Don't call anymore. Distance yourself. If you're suffering in a dating relationship or a marriage, what's the, the reality? Well, okay, we should break up or we should get divorced. Or maybe that's too extreme for you. Maybe instead you think, okay, well, I'm not going to get divorced. I'm not going to break up, but I'm just going to wall myself off. You know, I'm going to be a shell of myself. I'm not going to kind of really open up and, and really engage in this relationship because the suffering and the delayed connection is there. You see, patience is a reaction, yes, that we're to respond appropriately in the midst of delay and suffering, but it's also an action. Notice what he does here. He he connects it to the farmer. Verse 7, he says, The farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and late rains. I don't know much about farming. I actually know nothing about farming. But... I recently tried to keep an orchid alive, and I failed. Um, Orchids are really hard to keep alive. I don't know if you can, but here's what happened. I brought an orchid home, or someone gave us an orchid, and then they told me to put some ice cubes in there. And so I did that. And, you know, once a week, because you can't water them too much, or I don't know how it works. So I was just doing that, putting ice cubes. Well, all the leaves fell off. And then someone told me, well, don't worry. As long as the leaves are green, the orchid's still alive. So I've been putting water on this orchid for like six months and there's no flowers yet. But you know what I'm doing? I'm waiting. And I'm just putting those ice cubes and I'm putting the water and I'm waiting for it because apparently it's still alive and the the flowers will come back, hopefully. But I can't do anything to make the orchid grow flowers. Like there's nothing I can do. I can't sing in a song. You know, I can't, you know make it grow flowers. I can, all I can do is put those little ice cubes there in the tray. That's, that's about all. I, maybe I'm doing that wrong. You, you know, tell me if you're an orchid enthusiast, um, tell me what to do. But if that's the right thing to do, then all I can do is wait, right? He compares it to a farmer because what does a farmer do? He says, says to us, in our relationships with each other, we're to be like a farmer. And what that means is, A farmer doesn't sit in a field and just sit there and be like, I'm just sitting here waiting, you know, just when the rains come and then the plants will come up and I'll have the precious fruit. What does a farmer do? A farmer tends to the field. It plows and plucks weeds and builds, you know, gates so animals can't come in and builds a scarecrow because I don't even know if those work, but they look cool. Whatever else a farmer does, they do stuff, right? They're active, they're waiting for the rain. They cannot manufacture fruit. There's no, nothing they can do to make the rain come in order for the plants to grow. But they don't sit there and wait. They tend to the field. They care for it. They protect it. They're involved in it as they wait for the rain to come. See, what he's saying is that in our relationships, whether they're friendships or romantic or parent-child, whatever relationship it is, we're to be like farmers, We're to be patient. And what that means is that we don't just sit there and wait. Like, I'm so tired of dealing with this relationship and the suffering or the delayed expectations. But I'm supposed to be patient, so I'm just going to wait and do nothing. Patience requires tending. 
being involved, not just simply waiting, but actually taking action in the relationship to protect it and to make it available for the rain to come so that it can flourish and grow. But it's not easy, right, to be patient. That's what he says here. You can be truly patient if you understand something. He says it twice in the beginning, that the coming of the Lord is at hand. See, he says that patience is intimately connected to hope. What would cause you in a relationship to actually wait, to to accept and tolerate suffering, to accept and tolerate delay without getting angry or upset and without retreating from the relationship, but actually be like a farmer to where you tend it and you care for it and you protect it and you stay involved in the relationship. What would cause somebody to be patient like that? He says that, You believe that the coming of the Lord is at hand, that you have hope. What he's saying is that in order for us to be patient as people of faith, if you're here and you believe in faith in Christ, your belief that God has been patient with you, that he has tended to you, that he has cared for you, that he has come to redeem, as we just sang, he's come to redeem you, and that he has not only done that just so that You can be in a relationship with him now, but that he is returning to bring everything you desire from every relationship that you have and everything you desire in life. That he's coming to bring justice and mercy and peace and forgiveness. He's, as he says in Revelation, Jesus comes and says, behold, I'm coming to make what? All things new. All things. Relationships. You fill in the blank. All things are going to be made new. That if you really believe that, then it affords you the ability to be patient. See, the reality is, is that we live, yes, we may live in a microwave culture, but he's telling us that we're to have faith in a redemptive culture. That if we have faith and hope in a redemptive culture, it will change the way that we live in the here and now. It will change the way that we engage in relationships because it's not just about what's happening in the moment. We know that we believe in something beyond, that God is prepared good and he is faithful to that end. He is going to not only one day make all things new and bring justice and peace and restoration and redemption, but he's also promised in the context of our lives to do that in relationships that we have. Romans 8.28 tells us that God works good for those that love him. He's saying, do you you have that hope? In order for you to be patient in your relationships, to be like a farmer, you have to have the reality set in your mind and in your heart that you really believe what Jesus says. You really believe what Scripture says about who God is and the way that he cares for you. That Jesus really was patient with you. He was patient with you in your sin. He was patient with you in your failure. He was patient with you when you rejected him. I mean, I was thinking about this this week. I mean, think about how much delay and suffering we brought into our relationship with God. I mean, we brought a whole ton of mess into our relationship with God. And here's what God did not do. He didn't say, okay, you know what? If we're going to be in relationship, I'll be patient with you. But you got to work for it. you got to really prove to me that you're deserving of this relationship and you're deserving of my love and of this friendship. So you're going to have a little trial period in this thing called life, and you better be good. And if you're good, then it's going to work out. He doesn't do that, right? We bring all of this mess, all of this suffering to him, and what does he do? He suffers for us. He takes it. He says, you don't have to do anything. 
I'm going to tend this relationship and I'm actually going to bring the rain down on this relationship and I'm going to sprout up precious fruit. I'm going to bring good things out of your life that you did nothing to manufacture and in your relationships. And the question that James is bringing to the church is, is what he brings to us. He's saying, do you really believe that? That God has been that way towards you? He promises those things to you. Because if so, it should cause you to be like the farmer, be patient in your relationships. And he, he says to us in verse 9, to kind of clarify, he says, Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that they, you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. When you're reading this, you're like, whoa, 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 we're talking about patience. And all of a sudden, James shifts over to grumbling. What in the world does grumbling have to do with patience? Well, he's saying, if you believe in hope, if you have hope that the Lord is coming and returning and then how God treats you and sees you, how he's modeled patience in his relationship with you, then it will cause something in you. It will cause you not to grumble in relationships because God didn't grumble towards you when you brought suffering and much delay into his relation, in your relationship with him. He says, you are not to grumble. See, what does grumbling have to do with? That's a word we don't use. Uh, often, maybe you do, you're an old soul, but I don't use the word grumbling. Um, that would, I would feel weird. I even feel weird saying it now, grumbling. It's a weird word. Um, but what does grumbling have to do with? It has to do with, I think, three things. It has to do with doling out a heavy dose of criticism on people, more than necessary. It has to do with, as he connects here, being judgmental towards somebody. And it has to do with blaming others. So what he's saying here is that you are not to grumble in relationship with one another. You're not to dole out heavy doses of criticism. You're not to be judgmental towards one another. And you're not to be a person that blames all the misfortunes in your relationship on the other party. Not, you are not to grumble. You're to be patient instead. And we may be tempted to think, right? <laughs> okay. But Carter, you don't understand what my relationship was with it, is like with the person that I'm dating or with my spouse. I mean, how in the world are they ever going to know that they need to work on this? How are they ever going to know that this needs to be fixed and it needs to get better? That's why I need to tell them. And I need to tell them all the time. And I need to tell them a lot. And to make them feel really bad when they mess up. And I need to blame them on all the fights in our relationship because it's the only way that it's going to get better. So you may not actually say it out loud, but is that not how we live in relationships with each other? We grumble, right? We are not willing to be patient. We would much rather blame the other person and dole out criticism on them and judge them because we have no hope for the relationship. We just want it to be fixed right now. We're not willing to wait. We're not willing to be patient. Or maybe there's a friendship and you're like, Carter, listen, I've tried with a friendship. I've really tried here, but they're not giving anything in return and I'm done. I'm out. I'm, I mean, it's all their fault. I've done everything right. You see, James is very clear here. He doesn't say, okay, do not grumble except if it's been six months and you've really been trying hard and they didn't, they're not trying. He doesn't say, do not grumble except after five years. It has been five years of the same issue. Okay, now you can grumble. That's fine. That makes total sense. You could be judgmental if it's repeated, right? No, no, no. He just says, do not grumble. If you're patient and if you have hope, you're, you're looking at your relationships like a farmer who tends them and protects them and cares for them as you wait for the rain to come. You're not going to grumble. You're not going to blame. You're not going to dole out judgment and a heavy dose of criticism. 
And then he turns to the prophets and Job, and he says this, as an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we considered those blessed who remain steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job. You have also seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. See, he turns to look back. He says, okay, church, look back in the Old Testament of examples of what it looked like of men and women that were patient. He said, look at the prophets. The the type of suffering that they endured was unbearable and unbelievable. The delay in expectation of relationships that they had was incredible. And yet, what were they? They were patient. Why were they patient? Because they had hope. They had hope in who God was and how he would care for them and what he would do in the future. And so they didn't grumble. They didn't cast out blame. They didn't dole out heavy criticism on everybody. They spoke what the Lord told them to speak, even if it was to their own detriment. Even if there was suffering in a relationship, they were patient. And he brings out Job as an example. And I think people bring out Job as an example all the time. Um, You could probably go to the Christian bookstore and pick up a devotional and like half of them are on Job. Um, Job is an incredible example of a lot of different things, especially patience. But Job is a human. And sometimes I think we dehumanize him or or, or we, we make him kind of like some demigod, like not exactly like us, way more holy than us. But Job was flawed like we are. He lost his family. He lost his fortune. He lost his friends. And Job wasn't patient the whole time. If you read the story of Job, there was some grumbling. (laughs) There was some hardship in his relationship with God and his relationships with his family and his friends. But why we use Job as an example is because if you look at the life of Job, what did he learn? He learned patience. And he never forsook God. He never turned his back on God in the midst of suffering, in the midst of trouble, in the midst of delay. He struggled, but he grew. And why did he grow? If you look at the story of Job and his life, it's because he had hope. He had hope in who God is and his promises That even though all of these things are crashing down around him and every relationship in his life is falling apart, he was capable of being patient because he had hope in the promises of God. See, when we're resolved to be patient and to really endure, we really endure in relationships with each other. And we're like the farmer where we tend them and we protect them. We don't distance ourselves. We don't say, okay, fine, Carter, I'll be patient, but I'm just not going to engage in the relationship. If we actually engage and we're patient, we will see something, and that's the rain will fall, and blessing will come up. Because what does James say here? He says, every time, always, God shows himself as compassionate and merciful. I saw an article in Psychology Today, and had some harrowing uh, realities of what's taking place on the college campus today. And I think the college campus, in many ways, is a microcosm of our society and what we value or where we're going And I want to read you a few of these things. Uh, Most professors uh, of psychology believe that, from what I've read, that the things facing the youth today, uh, the mental disorders facing the youth today, are higher than ever. And here are some of the statistics. 22% of of, uh, college students seek therapy every year. 19% of students take some form of psychotropic drugs. 54% deal with overwhelming anxiety. 
one in five students report engaging in some form of self-mutilation. Drinking, which has always been a staple of college life, has gone from a desire to become, to seek euphoria, to a desire to lose consciousness. Listen to these stats. This is at Penn University. 71% of students at Penn University said that they, they got blackout drunk at least one time in college. 28% said that they got blackout drunk every, like once or twice a month. And 24%, one in four students said that every time they went to drink, their desire was to get blacked out drunk. Think about that. One in five students at this university, I'm sure it's similar numbers at others, when they go out, their desire is to lose consciousness. Not only that, but many, this article has pointed to the rise in the acceptance of casual sex. And what's happened is because of apps that promote casual sex and our culture that promotes and heralds it, what seems like a ghost now is stable relationships. Uh, many people feel like it's impossible to find a stable relationship with anybody else because everyone is with somebody for a few minutes, a few days, and they go on to the next one. So the question is, why has anxiety become so overwhelming? Why do one in five people struggle with self-mutilation? Why do one in four people desire to get blacked out when they drink? Why is it so hard to find good relationships? Well, the issue is a lack of resolve, it's a lack of endurance, and it's a lack of patience. Why? Because what do we want? We want everything now and fast. Everything in our life we want immediately. It's our microwave culture, right? And if we don't get what we want, if we don't get the thing that we want, what happens? We get out or we break down and we fall apart because we haven't achieved what we desire or we get angry or we escape. We find something to distract us from the reality that we have not received and we have not found and we have not grabbed the thing that we want. And this is certainly true in our relationships. And, and the article talks about what are some of the causes. And they say maybe it's social media because social media creates this image of perfection. And it causes you to try to live up to something that nobody can live up to. Maybe it's technology because technology has made everything so accessible that the work ethic has failed and dropped. And so people don't endure anymore. That maybe it's our over-trophied and over-parented and over-promised upbringing that's created this sense of entitlement in us. And when we don't get what we feel we're entitled to, we fall apart. Sure, those things could be part of it, but they aren't the culprit. See, the culprit, the reason is that we don't have patience in the face of suffering or delay in our life because we don't have hope. There's no hope. It's just about getting what I can get today. And if, especially in regards to relationship, if we're not getting what we want in the moment, and if we give it a week, give it two weeks, give it a month, give it a year, and it's not working out the way we want, we're done with it. I'm going to find someone else, find a new friend, find a new relationship. So we, we have a really hard time enduring and being patient because we don't look ahead. We don't meditate. We don't sit there and really think about the promises of God. I wrote about this in, in the worship primer this weekend. It's a big challenge to me. I asked myself, when's the last time I just took time and sat before God and I was just quiet and still? I didn't have an agenda. 
I just waited before God because we see in Psalms as we read in our call to worship, be still before the Lord and know that I am God. When was the last time I was still in my relationship with him and waited? It's challenging. But see, the reality is Jesus or James is saying that if we are patient in our relationships with each other, if we endure in our relationships with each other and not just wait and distance ourselves, but be like the farmer. We really tend to our relationships. We care for them. We protect them. We try to make sure everything is set so that the relationship can prosper and grow. If we're like that, even when delay and suffering comes, because it will come, it's a part of every relationship, the rain will eventually fall because God is always, and he always show himself to be merciful and compassionate to us every time. And so the question I ask myself is what would it be like with our relationships with each other as a church and your individual relationships, friendships, dating relationships, marriages, relationships with your children? If we really were patient, if we just took that command and said, okay, God, I'm going to really try to set my mind on the hope that I have, the promises you've shared to me, the reality that you're compassionate and merciful, knowing that you're one day going to make all things new, and I'm going to wait, and I'm going to endure, I'm going to be patient, and I'm going to tend to relationships. I'm not going to go to my normal tendency of blaming and judging and doling out heavy criticism or distancing myself. I'm actually going to engage, and I'm going to wait for you to show yourself to be merciful and good. I think what we would see is that God is merciful and he is compassionate, and he is always good. See, I think if we actually take up the charge to be patient, we will see truly that grace really does afford us the ability to be patient. Let's pray.